Hi everyone, welcome to a special edition of Romance in Color, a collaboration with Tim Tim Wafik Podcast, hosted by Myla Cancel. Hope you all enjoyed this special episode with Myla all the way from Paris, France, where we discuss romance in the diaspora as Black people. We discuss uh, American views of France, and we discuss what Black romance is and isn't. We also talk a little bit about my debut, The Build Up, but most of all, it's a beautiful exchange of romance, love, and just beautiful admiration of the genre so you all sit back relax and enjoy this special episode of romance and color tim tim boafik i hope you're ready to discuss caribbean literature i'm Mayla, a romance author from guadeloupe this is how i present myself today but it took me about 20 years to give myself permission to write about my people falling in love and finding happiness. Why? Well, thank you for asking and I'm going to tell you why. I never got to read about Caribbean people being happily in love until 2019. And chances are, you probably haven't either. That's why I decided to record my discussions with Caribbean authors who will give you an idea of their motivations and the issues they faced to get their romance stories published. My hope is for you to be inspired to write, to buy, because we're here to support, and to read romance stories set in the Caribbean with Caribbean people. On why. And we're back with a new episode in English. Yay! Today, I'm switching things up a little bit with a special discussion. So if you don't know, I'm from Guadeloupe, a French Caribbean island, and I could barely speak English when I was 11. And yet my first actor crush was Lauren State as Darius Loveho. Look, I have a big smile on my face right now because I love him so much. <laughs> He's the cutest. I loved him back in 1998 when I first watched a French dubbed bootleg version of Love Jones. And I still love him today in 2023. However, I must say that if I had known Omar Maturin, who played Richard in the film The Sweetest Mango, released in Antigua in 2000, Lawrence would have had some serious competition in my heart. Now that I'm older, I realize how wild it is that I grew up defining myself through another black culture. I don't want future generations to go through the same growing pain that I went through. That's why I want to encourage people to write Caribbean romance with Caribbean people because we deserve to see each other loving each other. We deserve to see each other belonging to a community. But how can we make it happen? I guess we'll figure it out along the way, but I thought it would be interesting to look at what's going on in the black romance community in the United States. I invited author Tati Richardson, who just released her debut novel, The Build-Up. She will give us her insight on the black romance landscape in the US, the diversity her book brings to the black romance narrative, and how being involved in a community is important. The last part of our discussion was about the cultural diversity behind the word blackness. I hope you will enjoy. 
this episode. Tim Tim, Tim Tim, My name is Tati Richardson. I am a romance podcaster at Romance and Color, and I am also a romance author. My debut um, romance novel, romantic comedy novel, The Build Up, came out March 28th um, on Karina Press, which is an imprint of Harlequin. Um, and I am really excited to be here. I am from the United States. I am from Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States. And um so excited to be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for accepting the invitation. Mm -hmm. So the build-up, like you said, was released on March the 20th of 2023. Yeah. So how do you feel? Oh my goodness. I am still overwhelmed by the reception to it. It's been it's been wholeheartedly positive. From what I've been told, sales are going very well, which is what we want. <laughs> Um, and I, I think the reception to it has been so heartwarming, particularly for Black women, particularly for Black plus size women who don't often see themselves in romances, particularly on the traditional side, because there have been plenty of representation of Black plus size romances on the, on the independent side of publishing, but not too many on, uh, the traditional side, particularly one of a black woman who is just happy with who she is she's not trying to change uh her changers though she she loves who she is she loves the fact that she is who she is and the romantic lead in it the male romantic lead loves her for those same reasons so um i'm just happy that people are receiving it well people are enjoying it i'm getting dms and and, and believe it or not a cross-section of people including non-Black readers, you know, reaching out to me saying, oh my God, I really enjoyed it. So I'm really glad. I'm really glad and really happy for the reception. Yeah. Uh, so I read it too and I loved it. And like you said, um, I really, so of course I liked Ari, but I yes. really enjoyed Porter because the way he loved Ari was so endearing Although I did read some romance, some black romance, and the character was plus si a plus size woman, I never mm -hmm. felt like the lead was uh, so. Um, I I don't know which word would be more appropriate. And he, he loved her, and you know he really, really, really said it. So you yeah, just he adored her. Love. He absolutely adored her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. Was it hard mm -hmm. to get into Porter's head, and then you know mm. when you had to switch back and forth with Ari because she 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 doesn't want him at first. I mean, she, right. She's attracted to him, but she doesn't want to be with him. So, was it hard to switch back and forth between because their voices are very distinct, distinct. Yes. Yes, very distinct. Um, first of all, I love how you say her name, Ari. I wouldn't say it. <laughs> I wouldn't say it like that. But <laughs> okay. No, but I love it. I love it. Keep saying it like that. It's so beautiful. <laughs> um, but yes, Ari um and Porter are very distinct people. I think Ari has a confidence and a a self-assuredness that Porter didn't really have at times. Mm -hmm. Um and for me, 
it was it was it was it was easier for me to write honestly as Porter than it was for Ari because I, I think I know how, what it's like to adore somebody wholeheartedly and just be so consumed with them I guess mm. <laughs> um but, but writing for 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 Ari um was difficult because you know it's, I'm I myself I'm plus size and stuff but there are times when I I've not felt that confident you know mm-hmm. um and and you know, self assured but I think as I've gotten older um I'm forty I'm forty four now uh, as I've gotten older I realize that you know I don't need to participate in this whole you know idea of beauty and 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 things like that um anymore. And so I think my confidence has risen and I think I took some of that and kind of extended it with Ari, like made it more with Ari. Um, but it, the, the back and forth, it was, it was, it was difficult at times, um, particularly when even I, as a writer was frustrated with, with Ari um, <laughs> and her frustration you know, not, you know, solidifying things with Porter. And I understand a lot of readers was frustrated too. Um, but I think once we know her backstory and the reason why she's so hesitant, you're kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of get it. You know, you don't want to be in the same situation twice type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was, it was, it was fun. It was a little difficult, but for, like I said, for me, sometimes it was easier just being Porter. Um, be a porter and and just you know getting in his head and being ambivalent about certain things and just focused on Ari and focused on the job and things. But you know sometimes his his lack of self awareness also hurt hurt people around him, like we see with his brother and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It was it was it was fun to play around with the male voice. Um, so this time having a dual um, POV or perspective was uh was different for me yeah it was it was it was a lot of fun but a, but a little challenging yeah and you mentioned uh the age I was very surprised I mean I knew they weren't in their 20s but at the same time I wasn't expecting that they would be in their 40s either mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. um I think we find out like toward uh, half of the story and At the same time, I was like, but, you know, their music references, they like R&B from the 90s and all that. So yes. it makes sense. Yes. But yes, you yes. did give a lot of clues about their age. Mm-hmm. But still, I was surprised. But I was uh, happily surprised because I do care about um, representation. I mean, love representation for people after 40 Yes. I feel like romance is really about getting with someone when you're in your 20s, sometimes in your 30s. But what? how do you love after being after turning 40? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a 20-something now. You know what I mean? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what that's like, but I do know what it's like to be 40-something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I know you know, the kind of nostalgia we have for certain things, you know, 90s R&B and movies and TV shows and all that. I know what it's like to, you know, be that age. And 
I didn't know, I didn't really want to tell a story about people in their 20s or 30s because I was like, I wanted it to be grown, established people who, you know, just were kind of not having good luck in the love category. Um, because I also know that story as well. I didn't, I got married um, again because this is my second marriage, but I got married again when I was 35, almost, almost mm-hmm. 35, 34, 35. Um, so I was, you know, a little bit older and then I had my daughter when I was 36. So, you know, I'm kind of starting over what they say later in life too. <laughs> I don't read reviews, um, generally, but I know a lot of folks, um, a couple that I ran across were like, they didn't really sound like they were in their forties, but I'm like, you know, have you talked to a 40 year old lately? They're not old. They're not like <laughs> the golden girls. You know what I mean? We, we still use some of the slang of of today and yesterday you know we're not old decrepit people you know we we still are hip and cool and and sexy and savvy um and so you know being I wanted to showcase that being 40 and falling in love is 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 possible yeah people nowadays I mean there are a lot of talks um about Um, people who don't want to have children who don't want to get Mm -hmm. married Mm -hmm. and I feel like people just want to wait more they are not Mm -hmm. in a rush Mm -hmm. anymore to do all to get married to get the children in their 20s Mm -hmm. they 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 just wait to be really confident about who they are who they what they want to do and so it just happens that you get this feeling when you in your 30s and sometimes in your yes. 40s when you yes. get together. you're much more established you're established mm. financially a lot of times mentally a lot of times and you're ready for that course of life we should celebrate more people who want to wait to get their lives together because mm. oftentimes they put people on such a timeline a strict timeline of you have to do something by xyz age and that's not always true. Everybody's timeline is different. So if your timeline is a little older, so be it. If your timeline is, is you know, you having kids in your 20s, and that's fine too. But, you know, I don't think we should judge or not anyone who, you know, decides to have children or get married or not marry or not have kids mm. uh, if they don't want to. Mm. So you are a podcaster yes so how was the transition between uh in your mind now you also an author a published author mm, mm. i've been asking myself that a lot lately particularly because this last podcast season i did it all by myself because my podcast partner was out with a with an injury um so she couldn't really do anything mm. um so also in the midst of this year, you know, it was me and my debut year. So I was, you know, having the things to do with my book. So I wasn't really reading as much other folks stuff unless they came on the podcast. Um, And, you know, I've been asking myself, you know, well, Tatiana, how do you want to continue being in these two spaces? And I think the answer for me is probably allowing someone else to do the reviews allowing somebody else to give reviews give um feedback on books that are coming out by BIPOC authors um 
And for me to continue doing author interviews, which allows me to talk to my peers without um, and talk about craft and talk about their work without doing like a review, so to speak. Um, so that those are kind of my answers to it. I'm still looking for somebody now to uh, kind of take on the review helm. So if you're interested, let us know. Um, but you know, for me, it's it's kind of about staying on the periphery and and just continue uh, talking to my peers, but at the same time, not reviewing them. So I think that's my that's been my answer to it uh, from from now on. Mm. Um, I noticed that there are a couple of authors who have a podcast. So I was wondering how podcasting helped the Black romance community to grow. Have podcasts helped them to grow? Yes. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, I know I have a podcast. I think Naima Simone and AC Baker have a podcast. Lacey Baker, excuse me, have a podcast. Oh, yeah, several romance authors have podcasts. Um, and I think it helps because it helps folks get exposed to not only our work, but the works of other Black romance folks um, that we're interested in. There's also, also the Black Romance Podcast, which is run by academics out of DePaul University, um, which is just wonderful. Yes. Um, and they do a good job of the academic side of Black romance, as well as interviewing some of our Black romance uh, legends, Beverly Jenkins, Brenda Jackson, you know, um, Francis Ray, you know, all these different people mm. that they've interviewed um, that kind of keep us abreast of the history and the importance of Black romance. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely think it's, there's an opportunity there for growth. I don't think there are enough romances, romance podcasts out there with Black folks at the helm. A few. Um, mm. But, you know, there are some that only focus on indie authors. There are some that only focus on certain smaller, you know, genres and stuff like that. So everybody kind of has their niche. Um, but uh, I definitely think there's room for more. Definitely room for more. Yeah. And um, I know Nicole Falls also has her podcast and she yes. also has her um, her Twitter spaces. I can never yes. join because it's too late for me with the time difference. I know. <laughs> <laughs> But I enjoy listening to, to, to the audio. And yes. um, she always talks about the importance of community. And mm -hmm. that's what I always get when I see your interactions on social media. And I, I think that's also what uh, motivated me to read more and more Black romance when I mm -hmm. got into, when I got back into it, um, like four years ago. Um, mm -hmm. So from your perspective, how did the Black romance community change let's say, in the past five years? Oh, my gosh. I think it's just opened up more. It's always been a really inclusive space. Like, if there's ever, like, when I started writing probably about four years ago and really was interested in being a romance writer around the same time I started the podcast, actually, people were so welcoming to me in the space, so willing to share and willing to make sure that I had resources and knew certain things and blah, blah, blah. 
Um, and I think it's just expanded more. The Black romance community has just expanded more with more indie authors, more people getting traditional, well, not more, but a few of us <laughs> getting uh, traditionally published um, um, in the romance space. If you look at the whole you know, numbers as far as publishing is concerned, particularly traditional publishing, that number is still very, very small. Um, but within the community itself, I see how growth and how outreach and how important um, just being involved in the community has been, particularly for me, for other um, new authors, for traditional published authors and indie authors to just kind of, you know, expand our own horizons um, you know, expand our community, find people who are kind of on the same wavelength as, as us, uh, writing wise, to kind of bounce feedback off of. Uh, I, I, I just think it's so invaluable for me because I gained so many new critique partners and friends through this, you know, and people I would be shocked that even would want to talk to me, you know, <laughs> even though I have the podcast, you know, and I talk to people all the time. I was just so surprised that, you know, certain authors who I felt were like big time, who were like, you know, my mentors or in a way wouldn't even want to talk to me. You know, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not anybody who want to talk to me, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's the that's the warmth and the care and the love they have for the community that they're willing to reach out for you and kind of put their necks on the line for you to you know be successful and they want everybody to be successful so it's been oh my god I can't I can go on and on about it but <laughs> the, the, the community of black romance writers is, is completely invaluable and if you think you can come out here and be a black romance writer without community you are sorely sorely mistaken yeah I totally get it that's actually through uh, the Black women's community that I got to find Caribbean romance authors. Yes. Uh, so do you do you read Caribbean romance? I I do. I, I read a few. Um, now the ones in French, I cannot read. <laughs> do not know French, friend. I wish I did. Um, but you know, um, um, Ng Peltier. Um, there is a, my other friend Nadia writes Indo-Caribbean romance um, as well. Um, so I've, I've read I've read a fair my fair share of of, of Caribbean romance. Probably not enough, mm -hmm. I'll admit. Um, but I would love to be exposed to more. So listen, if you have recommendations, send them my way. Um, <laughs> and given that my husband is from the Caribbean, it's super important to me to have that representation as well um in my home in my in my in my romance uh life and space i i'm i am more than willing and open to read more caribbean romance like i said i've read a few um and but there's definitely room for more as an american person what was different and what was similar at the end of the day we're still black <laughs> Um, and so diasporically, there are so many things that are similar in 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 Black romance and in Caribbean romance that I've read. The importance of family, the importance of community, uh, the unique spaces and foods and, and food ways and, and music ways that we have, all distinct, a little different, but still important to the stories. You know, we might use different slang, we might use 
you know, eat different foods. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all similar. You know, like my husband, I remember the first time he um mm-hmm. he had jambalaya, right? He goes, this tastes like cook-up. We have cook-up at home. I said, Jay, I'm pretty sure things are very similar diasporically. And as, he, as he's a chef, too. So mm-hmm. as he's learned about things as a chef, and he realizes, wow, you know, we really do all come from the same pot, different branches. And that's what I feel when I read uh, Caribbean romance. It's the same pot, but mm. different branches, different ways of of being and living. But the the but at the core of it, the way of loving is still the same. You know, yeah. yeah. And that's also why I can relate to um, U.S. Black romance, although I'm from the Caribbean. And uh, so, yeah, as um, as for writers. Of course, I always recommend Wilsey Adams. She's like yeah. one of the biggest yeah. Caribbean women's authors right now. You yeah. say Angie yeah. Peltier. Um, yeah. Fiona Zed. I believe Fiona is, is Jamaican, but she also writes queer romance. So Fiona yes. Zed. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. You said you would like to read uh, Caribbean romance in French. And that's <laughs> the thing. The reason I started the podcast is because there was not enough uh, Caribbean romance in French. And mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out how Caribbean romance authors from English-speaking countries felt about writing and why why they decided to write uh, romance. Because mm-hmm. the problem for us is that there are love stories. But most of the time, the male lead is white. So it would mm-hmm. fall under interracial romance. Mm-hmm. or the the story is written in a way that you don't feel uh the caribbean culture you you feel the mm-hmm. french culture but you don't feel the the, the caribbean aspect of it mm. so it, it, it's a lot of thinking on my part on how to write from a perspective that my blackness and my caribbean identity uh don't get lost in what I'm trying yes. to say, because I write in French. And that's also why I translate in, into English all my stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I, I want also to reach out to a bigger audience. Yes. And most people speak English. So that, that's right. that's that's why I do it. So yeah, it, it, it's a lot of, you know, self, self-love. And I mean, that's what writing romance is to me. It's, it's you know, it's to express self-love. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And um, our biggest issue is how to get published, how to get visibility. Mm -hmm. And um, you did say that there are not enough authors who get get published in a traditional way, but you did get published in a traditional way. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us how it happened for you? First of all, it started way before um, with just writing the book. Um, I was writing the book the same time that I was starting the podcast. Mm. That was 2019. And around that same time, I and we talked about community and why community was important. Um, but around that same time, I joined a couple of romance-focused communities. Um, I joined Inclusive Romance Project, which is a place for writers who want to uh, highlight inclusivity 
um, and be kind of own voices. So if you're black, uh, queer, neurodivergent, disabled, whatever, those are the voices that you want to highlight. And then I also joined, uh, well, shortly after that, I joined Word Makers, which is a group uh, run by Tasha L. Harrison, which is just focused on writing, which is like, hey, you need to write. You need to just write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it motivated me to write. Um, but with the Inclusive Romance Project, um, they talked about kind of all the pitch events that were happening um, on Twitter. Uh, when Twitter was a really good space for this. <laughs> um, but uh, Twitter has changed so much. I mean, I, I think it's no fault of the people who use Twitter. I think it's, we all know why. Mm. Um, but um, I participated in a pitch event called DV Pit, which is Diverse Voices Pitch. And so this was around the time of, you know, George Floyd being killed, Mike Brown, all these other people. Mm. Um, and so people wanted diverse voices or at least publishing said they wanted diverse voices and so people are very focused on that particular pitch event in 2020 and we all know what happened in 2020 the the uh pandemic and everything so people had a lot more time to focus on these issues that were kind of in your face um so dv pit happened um i prepared for it with my inclusive romance project groups um, and I put out several tweets uh, to get the attention of either publishers or editors. And a few people were interested. And one of them was uh, Karina. Um, I sent everybody who was interested a full, you know, or whatever they asked for. Um, manuscripts, partial manuscripts, you know, query letters, blah, blah, blah. And Inclusive Romance Project helped me with all of that. Helped me to craft my query letters and every and synopses and all that stuff. Um, I didn't hear for a while so I was like I don't know what's going on mm-hmm. finally I heard back from a couple of uh, publishing houses one of which was Karina which is the imprint of Harlequin they said they were interested but they really liked some things and maybe thought certain things should be changed and so I said okay let me let me work on that and at the same time I got accepted into a mentorship program with Inclusive Romance Project where they pair you one-on-one with an author whose career and whose uh, career trajectory is similar to what you want to do. And so I was paired with author Kilby Blades, who helped me kind of hone and craft this story, went through several rounds of edits with her writing and, and so forth until I got it right and sent it back to Karina and to another publisher that asked for um, uh, what they call an R&R, revise and resubmit. Um, the other publisher passed, uh, ultimately passed. But then, um, and I sent it to a few agents too, who also passed. Um, but ultimately, Karina said, yes, we, we want to publish this. Let's work, let's work with it. And at first, I was like, I'm going to just pull it. I haven't heard anything, blah, blah, blah. My friends were like, don't do it, don't do it. Just, just wait. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I waited in a few weeks after my birthday that year. Um, they contacted me and said, let's let's work together. And then from there, it was like full steam ahead with me getting the manuscript together. Because they were like, yeah, we want it out next year. And I was like, oh, my God. So I had to get it out. <laughs> I had to work like super hard to get it out um, for March. But I think in the end, it, it, it all paid off. So that was kind of my story um, there. I didn't have an agent at the time, uh, but now I do. Um, so, 
yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind. It's been it's been really cool, but 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 a lot of hard work. Yeah, and we can hear that. I I had no idea it, it took all of that because when I started to know about you, it was maybe a few weeks before you announced the release date uh, for your for your book. Yes, and uh, and I saw how you promoted it and mm -hmm. the 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 promo campaign campaign mm -hmm. yes. was great so did you do I it did. by yourself or was it with the help of your of your publishing house most of the the promo that you saw um on social media i did myself mm. um i promoted it myself as a new person you're not gonna get that much you know help yeah but i will say this um karina did do a good job of 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 You know, they had they created things to, to use and stuff like that, which I did use as well. Um, but once the book started getting some more traction with other reviews in different places, I got a star review in a book list. I got, um, you know, uh, some other reviews that were favorable, Publishers Weekly, some other things. Then I started seeing more and more promo on the side of the publisher. Mm -hmm. um, but but that's no fault of their own they you know you, you, you take a risk when you you have somebody new um so but a lot of the, a lot of that was on me to 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 promote myself and you know getting some advice from other author friends who were telling me what to do you, they said you know even though you're traditionally published at like you're not at like you're independently published and, and, and promo the same way you would if you were independently published I said, okay, cool. And so I kind of took that model and just, just used it the same way. And I felt like, um, particularly I used TikTok too to help, which was, you know, I thought to myself, I'm too old to be on TikTok. <laughs> But, you know, I will say I've, I've met some beautiful individuals over there who have been so kind and warm. They, they're a little younger than me, but that's okay. Um, they've been kind and warm and, and really loved the book and, and understood it and I had a young lady to make like a fan reel of the book when she just first heard about it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? I, I thought it was so touching because I was like, you don't know anything about the book, you know, like, but, mm -hmm. for, you to, but for you to, you know, say you're so excited about it was really cool. Um, but yeah, a lot of the promo, a lot of the, the countdown, all that stuff, plus my newsletter, everything I did to promote this book was really on me. Yeah. That's also something that I got from, I mean, when I look at how Black romance authors operate, community is very strong. But you have to do also your part. Yes, absolutely. You have to, you have to get you get you have to do the work. Yes, you do. You have to do the work. You you cannot just sit idly by and think, okay, I have a book out, and that's it. You know, yeah. and it's going to sell itself. You have to you have to sell your book to other people. You know, you have to give them a reason to want to uh, read it. So um, I definitely think I I took the time to promote it in a way that kind of hit the demographics that I wanted it to hit. Um, I think I knew this book had something special. One of my romance idols, uh, Laquette, who was a former president of RWA, hit me up and was like, look, we need to talk about this book. Oh. And I was, like, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, and uh, she said, no, we need to talk about this book because it's fabulous. We need to talk about it. And I was so touched, you know, I was in tears crying because I couldn't believe that one of the people that I looked up to in this industry, like really, really 
respected and liked what I did. So, um, yeah, community, like you said, is important, but it's also is on you to promote yourself and you can't be reliant on other people and word of mouth to spread, you know, your book, you know, if, if, if it worked like that, it would work like that for everybody, but it doesn't, you know, sometimes with indie authors, that's what happens. And then, you know, you get a good fire under you and then it's on TikTok and then everybody's picking it up and reading it. Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't work all the time with black authors. We got to put in, you know, as, as with anything, 10 times the work, mm-hmm. 10 times the level of work that a lot of other people need to do. Yeah. Um, I have a final question. Oh, and two. The first one, of course, it's the usual final, final question. What's next for you? Because you've been promoting for just one month. So do you have big events coming up? I do not have any events coming up. However, um, well, actually, I do have a couple things. Let me not let me not say that. Um, if you are here in the United States or, or not, because it should be available um, via the web um, this week, I will be on a radio show called Lost in the Stacks. It's a show uh, hosted by librarians at Georgia Tech. Um, and I will be on that show talking about romance and romance books. Uh, full disclosure, I work at Georgia Tech. <laughs> so um, I'm basically being interviewed by my colleagues who were shocked to find out that I wrote a romance novel. And that's been a whole interesting conversation in <laughs> And it's stuff when people find out when people from your real life find out what you do on the side it's kind of like what but um uh also will be with uh i think on the ninth liz donatelli um i was on her first reads uh um youtube channel um first reads event a uh, first date first first date yeah that's what it is first date um um prom, um event but i will put that all somewhere <laughs> on my social media when it when it when it gets ready to come out but um yeah it, 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 it's I have those couple things coming up but right now I'm just writing 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 and working on new stuff new stuff like a new book already or a series oh, maybe a couple of new books um hopefully a follow-up to this this debut okay. um the build-up with a character that people seem to want more of um and another book that's gonna be in like a totally different direction mm. for me uh it kind of stretched me creatively um it was a it was a super wild idea and I pitched it to my husband and he said that sounds crazy and I said it does sound crazy and so when I was writing it down and I was telling my agent about it, she said I like it I was like you would <laughs> like something ridiculous and out of the way like this but yeah, and then talking to my other romance writer friends, they said, it sounds great. I'm like, oh, Lord. So I guess I got to do this thing. Um, So I'm writing that, too. So those are some of the things I'm working on. And, I, and there's a novella coming out, but it'll be under another name. Okay. And so my final question, and it's something that I've been uh, really wondering since I got back into reading U.S. Black romance. What is it with friends France is always seen as this romantic place when actually for us Black people, it's not. And, and I mean, not mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, of course in the U.S. also, um, maybe we romanticize the life in the lifestyle in America, but 
we do know what's going on in 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 the US and mm-hmm. what life is for for black people over there and it's actually the same for us in France so I, I, to me it's always there's always a disconnect how do you view how do you see the lifestyle in France for black people you know let, let me let me preface this by saying i think a lot of that perspective on France and, and, and being people who are just generally Francophiles and love things about France. Um, I think that comes from just education slash miseducation here in our country um, and what people are exposed to. You know, a lot of people have a sort of narrow-minded view here in the States. And particularly, it's, it's kind of what, what the media shows us. What we learn in school is so mm-hmm. limited and what the media shows us is limited. We don't get, you know, when they do like world news on, on, on tonight or whatever, um, it's really not world news. It's really American, <clears throat> American adjacent news. Mm. I put it that way. News that would affect Americans in some sort of way. So we're not getting the perspective of say immigrants in France who are being discriminated against. We're not getting the perspective of, you know, you know, hate crimes against, you know, Muslim communities or whatever mm-hmm. um in France. Those people who are aware of that here in the States are aware because we care about black people on a uh, like I said, a diasporic level, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um we care about black people and the uh, the community of Black people everywhere and not mm-hmm. just here. Um, there's a sense of Pan-Africanism for some of us. I'll say some of us here in the United States. But the romanticism of France, the romanticism of Paris, the romanticism of, you know, uh, kissing under the Eiffel Tower or whatever, going to the Louvre, whatever, whatever, is, is, is often predicated by the media here who who paints France in such a positive light. And we and I we are aware that France has a large number of people of color, particularly black people, just like other countries do, like Spain or, or England or, or wherever. Um, a lot of black, you know, French speaking, you know, African countries. So naturally there are gonna be black people in France <laughs> uh because of colonialism. But a lot of people aren't aware of that. We're not a lot of people aren't being taught that. And 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 oftentimes, and particularly if you're aware of legislature that's coming down here in the United States, people don't want that. People mm. don't want their children to learn about anything other than white American history mm. or white American perspectives, which which in turn hurts people because you're not aware of things or what's happening on a global scale. Um, and it hurts you in the end if you have a very I guess myopic view of things. Mm. So I will say that the the I hope this answered your question first. Um, but I will say the painting of, of France and 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 in general is definitely something done intentionally by uh the media here, particularly white people who want to see France as this great seat of revolution. But at the same time, when black folks over here, over here and black folks there want to revolt, it's a problem. Yeah. As with anything, we can just blame white hegemonic 
systems that are in place, you know, <laughs> that, that don't really get the word out. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. So I, I just wanted to to ask just because I I I kind of sensed that it was yeah, the media and also a lack of history knowledge. But I I also feel like if we get to build, you know, a a um a community across a black women's community across the the world. Yes. Uh, things like that can change also. It can help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you. I know in my in my debut, I have um Porter's family is from Louisiana, which has a very rich Creole tradition. Mm-hmm. Um Creole means a lot of things to different people in different places. But in the United States, it means those who are of black, French, Spanish, and indigenous cultures. Uh, mixed all together mm. to kind of form a quote you know new class of, of, of black folks at the time mm. they were the free people of color and then they transitioned um, to being just creole people um, a lot of them because of their proximity to whiteness also are extremely extremely wealthy come from extremely extremely wealthy families and that's where in my book porter's family kind of you know comes from mm. um mm. He speaks a little French because in, in New Orleans, people do speak French. They speak a Creole version of French. Um, <clears throat> and so I definitely didn't, I definitely, I hope I didn't give the impression that I was a Francophile. <laughs> I like, <laughs> I like, I like French things, but these are just, it's just a perspective of where Porter was from. Um, being that he's a, a Creole of Creole descent. Mm. Um, for those interested in what black Creole culture is like, um, there's a great uh, PBS special you can find it online about uh, free people of color in New Orleans. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope I didn't give you that impression. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I read a lot of romance, and when, whenever, most of, I mean, nine times out of ten, when France is mentioned, it's always, I mean, like you said, for Porter, his French, the French element is really from a historical perspective. Yes, a black perspective at that. Yeah. Yes. Whereas in most of stories, uh, it's always about France, uh, the country of love and the country yes. of freedom and, you know. Romance. Yes. And I, I just, I, I yeah, it's, it's just weird to me when I read it. I'm like, that's just not how it works for us. Can I ask you a question? If you yes. don't mind. Tell tell people who are listening, particularly because this is going to be kind of simulcast on both of our podcasts. What would you like people to know about what it's like to be black and in France that black people in the U.S. don't know? Um, first of all, I will use the word blackness, but in the French context, I make a difference between um black people from the Caribbean, from mm. Guadeloupe, mm-hmm. um, the island I'm from, uh, from mm-hmm. Martinique, and those who are really the descendants from African people who immigrated in the 60s mm-hmm. and the 70s. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Guadeloupe was a colony up until 1946. 
-hmm. and then it became uh, what they call a département. So mm -hmm. uh, the island be belongs to France. We are French citizens and in theory, we're supposed to have the same rights and all that. So it's similar to like the Commonwealth in England. Um, Commonwealth Islands or Commonwealth places. Yeah, but I think in the Commonwealth, they do have some some autonomy to do some stuff that we don't have. Okay, okay. And I won't, I'm not here to say if it's a good thing or bad thing, but that's mm -hmm. just the way it is. Right. And there's also the fact that because we are from the Caribbean, people will question our blackness. And uh, they will say, you know, you're just a descendant of slaves and stuff like that. If we say, yeah, we're French, they were like, yeah, so you deny your African identity, which is not true either. <laughs> so being Caribbean, I mean, a black Caribbean person means also that in my mind, my blackness is also defined by the fact that I have Indo-Caribbean people in my family. So the word blackness is just too strict and too small, I think, just to define Afro-Caribbean people. That's why I usually use Afro-Caribbean now. I don't, when I use black, it's really when I don't want to get too much into details and all that. But really the, the word I use today to describe myself is Afro-Caribbean, which means black from the Caribbean and not just uh, Afri some, um, someone in Africa plus someone in the Caribbean. It's really a, a, a weird situation for us right now because... Like I said, they're trying to erase our Caribbean identity, our Black Caribbean identity. For instance, and I think now people get to see more because of Netflix series like Lupin. You don't see Black women on the screen. And for instance, I, I did my master's degree on French teen TV shows from the, nine, from the 80s to the early 2000s. There's only one show led by a black teenager and she's not even that black she's from um she's from the pacific ocean so it's not really black from africa or black from the caribbean and we have yet to have uh a tv show we only had one tv show led by a black actor it was in the 1970s when lupin came out it was the first time in the two thousand in the in the 21st century that French a French TV series had a black lead actor. That is crazy. I know. Oh That's yes. And we have yet we had one TV show led by a black actress. It was um uh it was um Miss France. A French miss, <laughs> I don't know how you say that, you know, um, a beauty queen, our beauty uh -huh. queen of France, yeah. Uh, uh, it was in 1999, I think, mm. 1999 or 1998. And she was, and in the series, she was uh, biracial because her father was white. So she was not fully black. Mm. We never had a TV show with a black family. So how do you how do you get a sense of who you are if you are never represented? And that's also why 
um, we identify a lot with um, the Black American culture because we get we got to see uh, the Cosby Show. We got to see um, a different world. I mean, mm. I know all of the shows that you guys watched, right? And that's how I got to to define myself at first. That's how I I got a sense of my blackness. It was through U.S. black sitcoms or U.S. black films like Love Jones. Is my favorite <laughs> films. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite too. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I, I have all your references. You don't have from you. You don't. You cannot have references from me. I mean, you cannot have mm-hmm. my references about my culture because we don't. Ha- we have nothing to show mm-hmm. for now. I'm hoping we are going to change that. But my references are yours. Mm. Everything you that you know. Yeah. You know, there's so when you were talking, I just kept saying, I draw so many parallels to being Black American with, you know, your experience because, you know, I've been in conversations with people, say, from Nigeria or Ghana. And let's say I did it, uh, for example, I did one of those DNA tests and, mm-hmm. I, and I said, oh my God, I'm Ghanaian. That's what it said I was. I, I was like, Seventy something percent Ghanaian, right? Okay. So I got excited. I said, like, "I'm Ghanaian," and I was telling my friends that. And then my friend was from Ghana. She was like, "You're not Ghanaian. Your 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 families were you were slaves." And it's just like, but I'm still at the end. You're a child of Africa with no home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you are you are a distant relative with no home, and at the same time, you have created a home here yeah. on this side of the hemisphere that its own culture, its own, you know, its own experience and stuff like that. Mm. And particularly for Black Americans, because of media and stuff, we're able to export, like mm. you were saying, you got you, you got to see a different world and all this stuff, export our culture out to the masses. Mm. And then people were able to absorb that. But, you know, let them tell it, let, but let other people tell it, you know, this is, this is ours too. I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is distinctly Black American. This is distinctly Caribbean American. This is distinctly uh, Afro-Hispanic, whatever. But people don't see that. They don't see that these descendants of slaves stopped at different ports along yeah. the way mm. have created something wholly different than um, our brothers and sisters in Africa or even our brothers and sisters who were colonialized and then moved to Europe or whatever. So, so, so totally different. Um, they don't they don't realize and see that. So I definitely oh man, I see the parallels in, in this struggle. Um and I definitely see the how difficult it would be to not see yourself represented um in a way that was positive. Um I will say, you know, as a black woman now, uh, I was telling my husband this media here in the United States has changed because I remember in the 90s, the 80s, 90s. You got a lot of diversity when it came to the type of black women and girls you saw on screen. Mm-hmm. Now you don't. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same type of black girl with the same type of hair, the same type of complexion. 
all on the different screens, mm. but in different places. I, I call it the Zendaya effect. Everybody wants <laughs> yeah. a Zendaya, you know. Mm. Uh, but, you know, back when I was in school, you know, and younger, you know, there was Brandy, there was Monica, there was Aaliyah. There was there was so much mm. diverse. There was Missy Elliott. You know, there was all these diversity of Black women in spaces um, that we don't see anymore yeah. and I think that's unfortunate um and I, I know that has to be particularly hard for you in a place where you don't see yourself at all represented at all yeah. and, and, and if it is it's probably not in the most positive light I'm in my late 30s now so I mm -hmm. I got to think a lot about it you know doing my podcast I mean mm -hmm. Tim Tim is on my only podcast my first podcast about Caribbean culture was Caru Caramo, and it was mm -hmm. about the representation of the Caribbean in cinema and television. Mm -hmm. And through the indie uh, cinema that we have in the Caribbean, I got to think about who I was mm -hmm. as a woman, as a Black woman, as an Afro-Caribbean, as a French woman. That's mm -hmm. kind of my introduction. <laughs> yes, and, yes um, all of those. you are all of those things. Absolutely. Yes, and... Um, I have a clearer vision of who I want to be, the, the kind of woman that I want to be mm. and how to get there. And mm, that's also that's why I do all of these things because I know I'm not the only one mm -hmm. and I really, I, I just want people to, to get inspired and to, to just embrace who they are and just to create. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't want to create, just to, to support. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I am supporting you wholeheartedly. You have my support over here for sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> well, that was an awesome interview. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out timtimboafik.com for more Caribbean books. You can email me at timtimboafik at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at timtimboafik. You can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts Spotify and core and to help the podcast to get more visibility share it with your friends your family your neighbors and you can give it five stars on Apple podcast I hope you enjoyed this episode see you at Dondo de Soleil In the way we, in the way Caribbean romance unfold. I, I wait, 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 wait. My question sounds weird. It's weird, isn't it? The structure was weird. I think you understand what oh, I mean with that. I think I, I think you're trying to see. You say what's the difference between how they, how the stories unfold? Yes, basically. Yes. Um. I want to thank Myla of. Tim Tim Wafi for having me on her lovely, lovely podcast. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. It was so amazing to talk to Naila and to have this dialogue and conversation. You all go follow her on Instagram and on TikTok. All the information will be linked in this episode's information uh, box. But you all will see you all next week on Romance and Color. This is Tati Richardson, your one half of the duo here at Romance and Color. Take care and God bless.